Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. Well, that actually brings up product number three, a product that we don't sell, but I recommend all the time. It's the uh, the Huber Zip System for exterior sheathing. The What you just described, Eric, is the problem on job sites all across the country, especially now because of labor shortages. Projects sit for days, weeks, months even, with the sheathing and the house wrap up. What happens is wind-driven rain, that the house wrap starts to flap, the, the staples tear, and you get wind-driven rain right through that seam. The, the Huber Zip system eliminates that as a problem. Nice. And we find that, exact, especially in a healthy home situation, the less moisture into the home during construction, the better off you're gonna be in the long run for a variety of reasons. It's around the house. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is around the house. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B, where we talk home improvement, healthy homes, interior design every single weekend. Thanks for joining us today. Well, hey. Caroline and I have a special guest in the studio today, right, Caroline? I am stoked. I am so excited. Well, one, I consider him a friend, so I put him in the friend category, but as a, he's also a colleague, and he's also an amazing 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 healthy home consultant so i'm thrilled to have him and i look up to him for advice so yay hey here he is andrew pace <laughs> wow thank you very much for that introduction uh i hope i can live up to that <laughs> yes, you can, of course. it's all true so if it you is. don't know who andrew pace is he is a legend out in the green design green building world and uh, let's talk about you for a minute. So uh, since this is the first time on Around the House, let's uh, let's build the story. All right. Well, I guess my ba- best way to go is my background. You know, I got out of uh, got out of school. I actually, I my family has owned a commercial construction material supply company that dates back to 1937 here wow. in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And so growing up around the dinner table, we didn't really talk about school and sports and things like that. We talked about architects and contractors and <laughs> projects, you know, so I, I learned at an early age uh, all about the industry. And so get out of school, what do I want to do? I want to work for the family business. And I convinced my father that it was it, I would be a good addition to the company he was really encouraging me to spread my wings and do whatever I want to do. But I honestly just had this desire to be in the the world of commercial architecture and design. Nice. My first gig, my first big job as a product representative was to work with engineers and concrete contractors to specify and supply these really high-tech concrete coatings nice. for below-grade parking structures, uh, for you know, animal clinics, for uh, airplane hangers. And I was supplying the material for a below-grade parking structure in Milwaukee, about three floors of parking below a 16-story condo complex. And this is 1992, so okay. we all thought water basement safe, right? <laughs> That's how it started out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. That's what we thought. And so we, but we still took precautions. We put up the plastic, we covered up all the air ducts just to make sure that no dust and no uh, chemical uh, fumes went throughout the building. Well, after the primer coat was applied, we started getting phone calls from people <laughs> living in the condos above. Now, it, it it wasn't like one of these psychosomatic reactions because they saw cans being opened. They couldn't see a thing. They just complained about the fumes. 
Yeah. <laughs> one, one of the Where one Tom? of the one of the <laughs> one of the I'm condos <laughs> was owned by a US senator who happened to have his Milwaukee office right there in that condo building. And he complained. Well, oh yeah, I that's never really, good. That's never good when you have those guys complaining. No, no, I don't want to be on some list. No. You know, I, so bad. <laughs> right, right. And so I think that the, 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 the big thing, the big event that happened was we actually had three of our own workers rush to the hospital because of inhalation complications. Oh, so if you think about the curing process, and of course I was 22 years old, I, I wasn't thinking about thinking curing about, processes. You were thinking yeah. about whiskey but and scotch. I know you. I, I was getting there. I was getting there. And so at, at, uh, at that point, I learned about the curing process. And what happens is during the curing process, the, the coating actually takes oxygen out of the air. Uh-oh. And it's replacing it with this solvent. And so our, our workers couldn't breathe because of the coatings we were providing. Put wow. the job on hold, uh, ran around the country, called every person I knew uh, in the industry if see if they can solve this issue. And we found a very small company in California called AFM, American Formulated and Manufacturing. And AFM made coatings, all types of paints and coatings, specifically for people with what was called multiple chemical sensitivity. And we found some products they had, we finished the job, but this was literally the life altering moment for me because I thought if, if this company exists that makes these non-toxic common sense products, why doesn't the industry use these? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I learned lesson the hard way that the industry didn't care and, and <laughs> it, to, the, to the most yeah. point still doesn't care. Comes down, especially on those big projects like that, it comes down to dollars and cents. Yes. If that, you know, and, I, and I've, I've done high-rise condominium projects, you know, that are 43 floors before I was uh, working on that for two years. And so I've, I've been in that same boat where if it costs them $4 more on the entire project, that's $4 they don't have to spend. Exactly right. And it's commercial construction too. So in, in residential construction, when you're working with a homeowner, it's their pocketbook. They can decide, well, we're going to spend a little bit here, a little bit more here, a little bit less there. They can modify their spending a little bit differently in, a, in commercial work because you're dealing with a board of directors. You're dealing with uh, major financing in a, in a $50 million project. Yep. yep. You're right. $4 more is, that's no bueno. They're not going to do it. Yeah. And then you've got also, you've got the architect that's on board there. And the architect might not want to spec that product because they're not familiar with it. Correct. And they don't want to have to own that being spec. If there's a failure, there's a huge liability there. So you almost, it's an interesting project that's so different than residential construction because you almost have to talk to the architect like they're the homeowner. And then the building owner is the bank. And then you got to have the contractor that's got to at least approve that. So it's an interesting mix. I've been in more than more than plenty of those meetings when I've been sitting there having that debate that you were probably having with that kind of stuff and everybody's pointing fingers. It's an interesting, oh, yeah. you know, you it's know, an interesting way to go. Andrew, you and I have never really talked about the liability standpoint, right? We always talk about like product selection. And when we're talking, we're talking about, you know, making it better for somebody. But now that we're having this, you know, one-on-one conversation, I'm thinking, just in general in life, right? I mean, whether it's a medical thing or it's a it's a home thing, construction, this liability component really is a big thing because I noticed nobody wants to take liability. Like I just had this conversation, we were doing a mold remediation project and they're like, okay, well, you have to write protocol for this because the mold remediation company doesn't want to take responsibility. So it's being pushed back to the consultant, right? So it's just, right. you know, that is a big component. I think people, unless they know it, feel it, see it, feel confident that the company behind the, these big companies are, you know, going to take responsibility for the product, people get afraid to put it in. And I, you and I've never really talked about it from a liability standpoint, but I do think there is a big part of that there, you know, money is there, but also just not wanting to have to come back and repeat something, you know, they get, people get afraid to try. I think the liability there. issue all across the board, 
is is a huge component of this and is the reason why most of these uh, technologies really don't get promoted uh, better. You know, think of the, the, the liability from the standpoint of uh, an interior designer who specifies carpeting for a project. Uh, you know, look at it from the, on the flip side. You know, if, if somebody down the road should get sick and it, it, it gets tied into the carpet because of the off-gas in the carpet, they're part of that liability stream, mm-hmm. right? However, the way we look at things right now is well, what if it fails? Right. Who's responsible exactly. if it fails? Yeah. They don't care if it makes you sick. <laughs> could be the last. Right, right. Because you it's know, when, very when, hard uh, from a medical standpoint, though, to tie things together, right? I mean, I've seen this with clients. I've had clients who had exposures went to court, there was a death involved, and mm-hmm. it. my clients were bankrupt trying to prove that their wife, no matter how much evidence we put forth, that this person died from mold exposure in combination with VOC exposure in combination with pesticide exposure, right? I see them mm-hmm. spend their whole life savings to fight, even though we know that this played a part in the death, it's next to impossible right. to prove. So that's why they don't worry about it. But they do worry about it failing because it seems to be an easier case to prove. Does that make sense? It, well, it makes tons of sense because anything that has to do with medical liability, I mean, you're talking about uh, years of, of court cases. And if you're going to find the correct medical professionals who will actually be a, 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 expert, a, witness. a, a witness, mm-hmm. expert witness, exactly. So, you know, I, I look at when, when Johns Manville came out with formaldehyde-free fiberglass insulation, what was that, 10 years ago? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, within the first month of them bringing this out, they had a buy full page ad in the trade publication saying, we didn't do this for any health reasons. We didn't, <laughs> we did this because it's a better resin. It's more affordable. It's more sustainable, but don't worry, you know, formaldehyde's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, it's crazy how that stuff gets laid out in the media and how they want to have that stuff in their PR campaign sometimes. Right. But it, it comes down to, uh, Yes, liability for who's responsible if what was chosen doesn't work. But we look at it more so as liability of of specifying materials or using materials that are known to be dangerous. Why do we continue to use these things? But this, this is the industry we're in. Mm-hmm. So, Andrew, what are you seeing now as far as some of the most toxic stuff going into residential construction right now inside the house? Is there something right now that... Uh, it's really making your red warning lights go off right now. Is there stuff that you go, wow, this is crazy. It still amazes me that people use carpeting in their house. Yep. Carpeting first and foremost is usually the most evil material you can surround yourself with. Yep. Um, now I'll tell all my clients, 90% of the chemical off gassing inside of a home will come from the things you see and touch after you're living in the space. Flooring is number one because it's a large area you're dealing with. Yep. And it's usually a thicker material. So thicker materials will off gas longer. And then you have your walls, your wall finishes, paints and coatings, cabinetry. Cabinetry yep. is a huge one that is, again, not people don't think about too much, but every time you open up a cabinet to grab a plate, you get that big rush of formaldehyde right in the face. Yep. And then your own personal furnishings, your furniture, your window treatments, things like that. That last 10% is behind the wall. It's under the floor. It's things that you only have one shot at. So when you're building the home and you're really concerned about chemical sensitivity and chemical off-gassing, you've got to make the right choices. But at the end of the day, that's only responsible for 10% of the overall load that you're going to face inside of the home. Gotcha. So we really focus on that 90%. And and just so people know too, like paint, for example, when you paint, and we can talk about this, Eric and I have mentioned, I've talked about this briefly, but you know, there's no such thing as a low VOC paint. It doesn't exist. They can market it as a low VOC, but that's all marketing. So you're always going to get volatile organic compounds that come off painting. And when you paint, these things stay around for 18 months. So if you're one of those people that like likes to change your color in your house, like you change your shoes, you're in for a big chemical load just because you keep painting all the time. So it's important for people to realize, even though you're not smelling something anymore and necessarily that big impact that you smell in the first week is maybe gone and you don't have that anymore. That doesn't mean the chemicals aren't still there affecting you. Mm -hmm. So they stay around for a long time. 
Exactly right. And and this is probably going to blow the minds of some people listening today. But, you know, the, the, the only reason why VOCs are regulated by the EPA is because of outdoor air pollution. Mm-hmm. Yep. There is no regulation on the books for, for VOCs based on human health concerns. So in the mid-90s with the VOC regulations, they started reducing the amount of VOCs being manufactured by the, the paint companies, kind of like the CAFE standards for automobiles. Yep. You know, overall, a paint company has to reduce their manufactured VOCs by X amount, which still allows them to make the really high VOC stuff because it averages out to be at that level it needs to be at. Inside of a home, a VOC, which is a volatile organic compound, any carbon-based molecule that's readily vaporized at room temperature that could react with nitrogen and UV to create low-level smog, inside of a home, there isn't enough UV and there's not enough nitrogen to create smog. So the VOCs are kind of irrelevant. Now, the toxicity of mm-hmm. those VOCs, <laughs> that's the key. key. And the industry uses the VOC number as a metric to determine whether something is safe or not. It's completely false, completely irrelevant. With the EPA, they have 37 or more now what are called um, unregulated VOCs that they have been given exemption by the EPA for manufacturers to use in their materials, because even though they're probably toxic, which is irrelevant to them, they don't actually create low-level smog, so they can use them. Ammonia, acetone, and butyl acetate are the three most widely used solvents in zero VOC paint formulations. (laughs) Wow. See? Yep. So if if I open up a can of acetone in my office building, within 15 minutes, everybody in this office building will have detectable levels of acetone in their liver. But yet that's deemed as zero VOC by the EPA <laughs> and can be used in paint and not need to be disclosed. So I should be telling my doctor, no, 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 it's not the whiskey. It's the acetone. Right. Yes, that's <laughs> ethanol. We're good there. <laughs> <laughs> we need it. Okay, doc, okay, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to start doing less painting and more drinking. Right. So, See, with right. that house, you pay, Eric just painted his whole house. That's his problem. Yep. <laughs> or formulate a new paint made from whiskey. Oh, nice. There we go. But the problem is, then I'd be out there as I'm spraying it, going like this, with my mouth open. <laughs> I don't need no mask. Okay, so just to bring some light, because we're talking about a real serious topic, but we always have to talk about fun on the show. So we're going to talk about, because we're talking about whiskey right now. Andrew, besides being this incredible environmental consultant that wants to save the world, has a passion. Because we all have passions. There's Eric with his passion back there. Chug a lug. Mm -hmm. So... Andrew has a passion, so I'll let him tell you what it is. And and this is a passion of Eric's. It's not necessarily a passion of mine, but I think they're going to teach me a little bit today. So it's kind of good. So tell us. So, you know, when I started my career in healthy home uh, consulting and material supply, I became a a student that I've never been before. I wanted to research and learn everything I could possibly learn about chemistry, about building materials, how things go together. After doing this now for 30 years, I'm still learning every single day. But I am a, uh, I am just a sponge for information. Nice. Well, (laughs) back in 1995, 96, uh, I was elected president of one of the largest commercial architectural associations in Wisconsin. And I was the youngest president ever in the country for this organization. And I remember at the installation dinner, somebody asked if they would, if they could buy me a drink. And I said, oh, sure, I'd, I'd love to have something. And I, I looked quickly at the back of the bar to see if I'd recognize anything because <laughs> I wasn't going to order a Bud Light or something, you know. I wanted to be a little more <laughs> there highbrow. Goes, there goes Eric. He's ready. <laughs> <laughs> so I looked at the back of the bar and I said, yeah, I'll take a Dewar's and water. A Dewar's is a type of blended yep. scotch. And I thought, I'm going to look cool. I'm going to be drinking a Dewar's and water. I have no <laughs> idea what it tastes like, but it doesn't matter. I loved it. Fell in love with it. <laughs> yep. And it just, it was all, I was going to say downhill, but it was actually uphill from there because yeah. I learned so much. Uh, a very good friend of mine, 
um, Frank, Frank, he he was a Scotch snob. He was a Scotch yep. uh, lover. And he kind of took me under his wing. He said, I'll teach you all about whiskey. <laughs> well, now, all these years later, we he and I and our wives have been to Scotland several times. Uh, nice. We actually went through all the courses and the training to become Scotch whiskey sommeliers. Nice. And I wait, find wait, let's that say that word exact, again. Hold on, say that word. <laughs> Scotch. A Scotch whiskey sommelier. Wow. Nice. See, he's not just yeah. an environmental consultant. We get to the nitty gritty <laughs> in this show. We just don't let you come on and talk about your career. I mean, that's boring. We need to know exactly who you are. And check this out. <laughs> now let's well, do this. It's, it's <laughs> my desire to learn more. It's my desire to dig deep into things. And I find that my passion and my love for helping my clients live in a healthy home uh, I have the exact same passion for um, sharing things that I've learned with others. And I've learned so much about whiskey over the last 20 years that um, now I actually do private events. I, I, I conduct wow. uh, yeah, private awesome. uh, uh, tasting events. So, so okay. it's, uh, yeah, that is my passion. As an amateur, because Eric knows stuff, because I know nothing. All right. Okay, what is the most important thing I know, need to know as an amateur? And then you can tell Eric what he needs to know as a professional. <laughs> oh, boy. Professional, professional drinker, that is. <laughs> okay, so here's what you need to know. Any way you like to drink whiskey is your way, and that's the right way. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you have to drink it neat. You have to drink it over an ice cube. You got to drink it with water. You drink it the way you like to drink it. Nice. And... I remember when I was getting my my certificate, the woman who was conducting the last course, uh, she was from Poland, and she drank her whiskey with lemonade. That sounds I mean, that's good. the way I she love loved lemonade. drinking. Oh, my God, I love lemonade. High-end scotch whiskey mixed with lemonade. <laughs> awesome. So who am I to judge <laughs> to say that's not right? Yeah. Now, when I do conduct tasting events— I have everybody taste a whiskey for the first time neat because you need to know what the spirit tastes like on its own. Sure. But then we call it the altered states of whiskey. You can add in a drop of water. You add in one drop of water and you look at the glass and you can actually see the alcohol swirling. That's an exothermic reaction. At the, the alcohol is actually heating up because of the water. And what will happen is the ethanol will start to leave the glass and you'll get hit with these base notes of what the whiskey actually is. Oh, you mean the yeah. VOCs are leaving the glass? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they are. Uh -oh. They are. But no smog. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so, but then you'll find your sweet spot. You'll find it where it actually is good for you on your palate. Yep. Now, in any given moment, there are over 3,000 different bottles of scotch whiskey alone for sale in the world. 3,000 different expressions. And that's only from 115 distilleries. Yeah. Here in the United States, we've got close to 1,500 whiskey distilleries. Oh, yeah. So this number is going up rapidly. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm lucky. My my uh, my freezer in my fridge is uh, the LG one that comes out and gives the little uh, clear golf ball-sized ice cubes which is kind of cool it's perfect that is cool that's that ice maker kicks it out right underneath it so it's very easy to go in there and grab one of those uh you know whiskey balls and throw it in the throw it in the glass and then you know it, right. it gives that slow melt and oh, yeah. uh, i'm not watering stuff down too much exactly and that's that's the thing you know i i may be a scotch whiskey sommelier i'm also a bourbon executive nice. so i, I i've done all the training for bourbon as well. And, and I appreciate them both. And I find that bourbon because that is, uh, that's basically it's corn based. Mm -hmm. And so corn al al ethanol is actually just a little bit hotter on the palate than the, than the alcohol you get from barley, which is scotch whiskey. And so this is why most people will drink bourbon over a glass of ice because that ice cube as it melts will actually uh, provide that same exothermic reaction uh, the colder the spirit is, the more shut down the alcohol is. Uh, but though, you know, there are whiskey purists that say you got to drink it neat because if you don't experience that Kentucky hug, you're not really getting a good <laughs> drink of whiskey. <laughs> very true. Very true. But yeah, it's uh 
Man, there are so many great whiskeys out there. You know, uh, I'm much more of a bourbon guy, uh, mm-hmm. but I have no problem with a with a, a neat glass of scotch either. So, right. which is actually interesting because I would say, of those who I've known over the years, people who are bourbon drinkers and started with bourbon typically don't gravitate to scotch, and that's because they they already found that what I call that literal sweet spot. Bourbon is a little sweeter because corn alcohol is sweeter. Yep. Um, people who are scotch whiskey drinkers have a tendency to kind of go, you know, whatever you're pouring, I'll take. Yeah. Uh, but, but see, I started with scotch. That's why. Oh, there you go. That's why There you go. So mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, love scotch, uh, and then got into some really good, uh, some really good bourbons and enjoyed it that way. So that's yep. kind of how I slid go. into that. So that you're hundred percent right. Cause that's the way I went with it. <laughs> see, we learn stuff but, all the time on the show. It's amazing. And there's some good, inexpensive, you don't have to go crazy with good whiskey out there. There's some great, inexpensive whiskeys out there. You don't have to go spend a, a ton of money for, for stuff yeah. out there, you know, whether it's scotch or bourbon or whatever you're doing. Oh, agreed. But Agreed. If You know, in the bourbon world, if you're spending more than $50 a bottle, you're overspending. Yeah. Um, in scotch whiskey, it's a little bit different, but you're looking at, uh, I mean, I, I've probably, I, I won't say how much I've spent for bottles of whiskey, but for scotch, <laughs> but, you know, I, I got a bottle yeah, I got a bottle right here. Ooh, the Oban Little Bay. Yep. Um, I think I paid twenty eight dollars for. Yeah, and it is comparable to some hundred dollar plus whiskeys I've had. I mean, it's just a fantastic value. Nice. What is that called? I know nothing about what Oban. Is Oban. Oban, Oban yeah. Little Bay. Yeah, mm. O B A N. They're a great value. Oh, yeah. It's the uh, type of whiskey that's called a NAS or a non-age statement. So in Scotch whiskey, it's got to be minimum three years old to be legally called Scotch. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't have to put the, the, the age statement on the label if they don't want to. If they do put an age statement, like a 12-year-old Glenlivet, yep. that means that the, the youngest spirit in the bottle is 12 years old. The oldest can be, you know, 100 years old. So it's a it's a big push now in the Scotch whiskey industry to use what are called no age statements because it allows people to taste whiskeys all over the board without getting influenced by an age statement, thinking it's going to be better because it's older. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because if I'm looking at the if I'm looking on the shelf and I'm like, oh, there's a twelve, there's a fifteen, there's an eighteen. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go with the eighteen because it's not that much more, and you know, right. And w- without yeah, even I'd, taking into account the actual taste. Exactly. I did a tasting at McAllen several years ago, and we had anything up to a, from a, from a new make all the way up to a 25-year-old. And I think the 18-year-old was our favorite. The 21 and the 25 just didn't, for me, didn't, didn't taste right. So it doesn't necessarily mean the older the better. It just means more expensive. Yeah. They've had to, okay. they've had to ma- maintain that for so much longer, and you've just got so much more labor and time in it. Exactly right. I'd like to know your top five favorite products right now that can go into a home so that you think when someone's doing a remodeling project, they're going to put the healthiest products in. Do you have five favorites? And it doesn't have to be five. Oh, boy. Calling you on the spot. Okay. But it could be a flooring. <laughs> it could be wall material, maybe a caulk, maybe paint. So shot and then okay, five favorites. <laughs> I can do that. Do I get? Do I get to drink while I'm giving my five? Yeah, or? yeah. And I, I want to see. Uh, <laughs> I want to see what Eric's got over there. Eric, for some reason, I can't see you full bore. I need to be able to oh. see you. Oh, there we go. Well, I will. Uh, I'm actually. I've got. <laughs> I want to see your reaction. Co- I have it in my coffee right now. Is what I've got. So yes. <laughs> and what do you have? And in I'll your say coffee? that. <laughs> there you go. Um, I've got the. Uh, I've got the Buffalo Trace uh, cream. Uh, they're creamer, basically. It's the, it's oh, yeah. the, uh, that stuff's so good. Oh, it's, well, you know, it affectionately called the cream in your coffee because I mean, it's, it's like Irish cream, but made with bourbon. Yes. I like it's that. Fantastic. That's sweet. Is yeah. that it sweet? Is. Oh, well then. Oh yeah. I'm your girl. It's, it's good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's good. And so. that over ice cream oh. is good for a little dessert. Yeah. Oh, Eric, I'm only doing, him. I'm cheating that way. I'm cheating that way. Cause, um, I got home like six hours ago from a going away party last night. So <laughs> Eric's been partying for 24 hours straight. <laughs> so I had to hit the brakes on something. So Eric was in a rock. Andrew, Eric was in rock bands in Seattle. So he, he played bass. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, fantastic. So he's a champion partier. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, 
He comes yeah, from expert good level. stock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love See, I, I sang in a heavy metal band in high school, oh, but nice. you know, yeah. But we, you know, we were just doing covers of Iron Maiden and you know Black yes. Sabbath. <laughs> Maybe that's where the whiskey love started. There we go. There Probably we go. Jack Daniels. Yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> These boys. <Little> Michael Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> so what you drink in there? That looks good. So this is the Oban Little Bay. This is actually a, um, uh, it's a Glencairn glass, but it's black. It's completely opaque so that I do a lot of uh, blind tastings. People want to get um, like, descriptions of whiskeys and if you pour them out blind and taste them without being able to see the spirit you won't be affected by what the color should be imparting the flavor gotcha and so this nice. is what i use in my i office. like that that's cool isn't it yeah mm-hmm. kind of kind of looks kind of yeah. looks rock star very I'm, much I'm all for the rock star <laughs> we can we can toast david lee roth because he retired so there we go toast up he to did david, that's yeah. right poor david good. i'm gonna miss him good for him <laughs> he he Honestly, he, I, I loved him, um, but you know, it was time. Mm-hmm. It, it was, was time. time. He was done. He was done. Yeah. So, all right, top top five materials. Uh, let's see. I'm going to start at number one just because it's easier for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mentioned before that my my the second biggest issue in the home is paint or any painted surface. We mentioned that zero VOC does not actually mean non-toxic. It just means it's better for the environment. When I got started in this business in 1992, the very first manufacturer I found was a company called AFM Safe Coat out of California. They still exist today as being the only manufacturer of, of uh, paints and coatings that do not off-gas. They'll block the off-gassing of what's underneath. I can't tell you how often we get phone calls on a daily basis from people saying, I used XYZ's paint six years ago or six months ago, and it's still off gas and I mm-hmm. can't live in my house. So we'll put two coats of safe coat on and they can move in, you know, the next day. Wow. Yep. And so AFM safe coat out of San Diego, they still exist today. Uh, I think is one of the best values in, in um, paint. The downside is you can't just run down to the hardware store, or the local paint store to get it. Most of the paint that's available uh, is uh, online. There are some stores across the country that carry it, but most of it's being sold online. So it's kind of difficult to get. Okay. In, compared to going down to Walmart or Sherwin Williams and getting getting your paint. paint right. But it it's definitely worth and it. And color choices, I think you're more limited too, right? I mean, they have less color uh, choices. You know, it used to be, it used to be, but they have a fan deck now of about 1,400 colors. Oh, that's great. And they'll match any other paint brand. Cool. Yeah. Nice. All right, number two product, and I'm going to keep it in the coatings world, is a, a company called Calliwell, C-A-L-I-W-E-L. Calliwell is a coating that was developed probably 15-plus years ago. It is a latex coating, which means water-based acrylic, but it uses a very, very high amount of calcium hydroxide, or lime, yep. in the mix. What happens is lime raises the pH to a level of about 13. Wow. At that high of a pH, mold cannot sustain. I was going to say, nothing's grown in that. Right. <laughs> well, think of, think of farmers years ago. They used to lime wash their barns once a year mm-hmm. to get rid of the mold. Calloway invented a way to actually partially encapsulate that lime with acrylic so that the top end still stays open and active, but it doesn't necessarily um, neutralize right away. Wow. It, they actually have EPA registrations on their product to be a, um, a, a mildicide that's effective for a minimum of six years. So we use this product uh, to coat all the inside cavities of the exterior wall. Okay. So after you're done sheathing before insulation or before air sealing, We'll spray all the inside of the OSB or what are you using and your studs with Calloway because any of the mold spores that um, may have been on the wood prior to installation uh, aren't going to be fed by the moisture in the air because, uh, and if it is, it's going to die off yeah, because of the Calloway. Sure. It's very inexpensive insurance 
to make sure that you're not going to have mold on those exterior walls. Nice. Do you run into any issues with that 13 pH and like metal brackets and things like that? Are there any issues with, uh, with corrosion and things like that happening or is it all pretty good? It's all good. Uh, we actually haven't seen that um, because, you know, again, it's going to be on the inside um, as opposed to, you know, going on to the, uh, the outside where you might have some, some of those Simpson plates. Exactly. Um, there, there's, there's a, um, it doesn't necessarily penetrate into the wood. Okay. And so even though it's, it, it, it it's has like a that barrier acrylic in, 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 impregnating yeah, the, it. the acrylic acts as a yeah. barrier on the, on the surface it goes onto, but the, the, the mold stays on the outside of it. Gotcha. Or the, the mold, the, the, um, the lime. The lime does. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you think of during construction, the average home has about 400 to 600 gallons of moisture in the air just from the building process. Yep. And that's trying to get out. And it's, it's going to go through uh, switch plate covers and, and outlets and cracks and crevices and try to get out somehow. If it gets stuck in that cavity wall, it could, under the right circumstances, turn into a mold situation. Yeah, Andrew, we've had a, you know, I'm out in Portland, Oregon, so we have rains that hit from about, well, October all the way into about June, where we could have literally 30 to 40 days straight of measurable precipitation, and you've got people wow. building. So the problem that we end up having is, is that they end up sitting out there, and I can drive past, especially <laughs> if it's a project a project's been delayed, for instance, or or they're doing multiple times, they're waiting for the roofer to show up or whatever. You know, sometimes a house will sit there for for two or three weeks as they're framing it, waiting for maybe right. more trusses to show up. And the OSB is on the outside is looks like it's black. Right. Exactly. And they're throwing house wrap around it and off they go. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh boy. Well, that actually brings up product number three, a product that we don't sell, but I recommend all the time. It's the uh, the Huber zip system. Yep. For exterior sheathing. The, what you just described, Eric, is the problem on job sites all across the country, especially now because of labor shortages. Sure. Projects sit for days, weeks, months even with the sheathing and the house wrap up. What happens is wind-driven rain, that the house wrap starts to flap, the, the staples tear, and you get wind-driven rain right through that seam. Yep. The, the Huber zip system eliminates that as a problem. Nice. And... We find that, exact, especially in a healthy home situation, the less moisture into the home during construction, the better off you're going to be in the long run for a variety of reasons. And But uh, it, it... Explain to the audience, because a lot of people don't, you know, we have a lot of people listen to us that have no building experience whatsoever. So just explain to them what that system is and how it attaches to your house and, and how it's different than if you sure. were just to build a normal, you know, everyday you know, construction, normal construction home. I think sure. a lot of people have seen the the Tyvek house wrap over the last 20 years mm -hmm. out there that they'll drive by and, and they'll say, hey, what's that white stuff that's wrapped around the building? Right. That's kind right. of what I'd call the norm for people out there. But right. Mm -hmm. The traditional, yeah. yeah, but there's a lot of systems now out there. Right. There are a number of manufacturers now making these types of, of Tyvek type wraps. Um, and... The idea of it is it is a it allows vapor transmission, but doesn't allow rain to get in through it. Now, the again, the problem we have is at those seams. When those seams flap in the wind and you get wind-driven rain through it, or snow, in our case up here in Wisconsin, you get snow blowing blowing through those seams. Yep. The it when you're framing a home. Your exterior frame, whatever, whether it's two by four, two by six, if you're just doing a, a traditional wood stud, on the outside, you're using a sheathing material. Typically, that's going to be a, a exterior grade plywood or an OSB, and then you cover it with one of these building wraps. The Huber Zip system is the exterior OSB, but it's factory treated with, a, with water repellents so that you can't get wind driven rain going through the board. And then every seam, for the these four by eight sheets is going to be either taped or flashed with a liquid flashing material so it's completely sealed and huber has their own factory um, training 
to teach you how to how to install the system. Uh, so it's not available all throughout the country. There are pockets of the country where it's just not either it's not well supported yet. The lumber dealers aren't aren't supplying materials. They're not doing good training. I've had a couple of projects on in the on the East Coast in these areas where they're just not comfortable using it yet because they don't have good factory representation. In those situations, I'll actually switch people over to a product made by a company called Siga, S-I-G-A. They're a Swiss manufacturer of high-performance tapes and wraps, mm-hmm. and they make a building wrap that you can use over traditional OSB, but it's a peel-and-stick membrane. So nice. you get that positive lock at the seam. There's no worry about that you know, flapping in the breeze. Well, Caroline and I were talking here, um, geez, probably two months ago about some of the problems when you've got you know, positive pressure inside the house and then you're blowing the house wrap off of it at the yeah. bottom and actually letting snow and moisture back in because you've ballooned out the house wrap away from the structure. And now you've let a place for it to come back in. Right. And that's yeah. using like and an so ERV, I'm- right? So people hear about, you know, bringing positive air and bringing fresh air in. And, and a lot of these companies, we've all been hitting home on using ERVs. But now we're learning that an ERV can actually have a downside, right? The downside is Mm. it can actually create too much pressure that that building envelope that Andrew and Eric are talking about can actually expand like a balloon right off of your plywood. Mm. And now you've got this gapping that allows all kinds of moisture infiltration. So that's kind of, it's crazy, right? It's like like a giant rabbit hole we're in, Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, this is, it's interesting because, the industry has really gone towards this, what I would call high performance construction. Yeah. And which is green energy efficiency and, and so forth, material efficiencies and so forth. But it, 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 it forgets about the human aspect. You know, the industry wants metrics. metrics. They want performance yes. metrics. Mm-hmm. That's all. Now, common sense tells you that a home built a hundred years ago that has gaps and holes everywhere is going to be the least energy efficient building you live in, but it's probably going to be the healthiest because you are getting fresh air. You're not getting, you're not getting moisture locked in a cavity wall because that cavity wall probably was brick and um, stucco and, and there's no insulation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but you know, there, there's gotta be a happy medium. Sure. And so uh, I actually do find that in, in the building industry, there is kind of a, a bumping of, of heads between the high performance home builders and the healthy home builders, because the, the, you'd think the two would have the same goal, but they're, they're really different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're seeing, you know, even in the construction side of things, you're seeing, you know, where you're using engineered um, studs now, where you're, you're trying to stop the thermal breaks. So mm-hmm. you're going to a 24 inch, you know, on center construction and you're seeing a lot of different stuff going on, but then you've got other people going, well, now you're just putting in a glued together product mm-hmm. that's not just a natural piece of wood in there. So there's this right. back and forth with some of this stuff going, oh, I don't want to put that glued together stuff on every single two by four, for instance. Exactly. Exactly. Now, what I will say is, you know, sometimes you have to take a step forward to take two or step backwards to take two steps forwards, right? Sometimes you have to use something that may have some synthetic uh, materials in it, but at the end of the day, it's going to be a better project for it, longer lasting, healthier for the occupant, so forth. Um, you know, probably my number four product that I would have people look at is an older technology that's becoming more popular again. It's insulated concrete form construction, ICF construction. Built my mom's house out of that, my mom and dad's house out ah, of that. I know fabulous. it well. Now, <laughs> 15 years ago, ICF construction was getting very popular, but the cost of wood was so cheap that the building associations just said, you know what, we're not going to bother with that. It's going to make us look too expensive. You know, the, the, the home builders didn't want to promote it. But now with wood still at, you know, a very high price for framing lumber, it's actually very cost effective to build insulated concrete form. And what that is, if you're not familiar with it, it's essentially building a house out of Lego blocks that are hollow. Yep. These are styrofoam type or, or uh, expanded polystyrene foam blocks that are hollow in the middle. And after you build the wall and all the walls around the house, you fill it full of, of concrete. 
Inside of those blocks, you're going to have a furring strip or a nailer every 16 inches on center, the way the industry is used to. So on the outside of the house, you're going to install your siding. On the inside, you're going to put up your drywall. There's no um, Tyvek or building wrap needed. There's no insulation, additional insulation right? needed. Yep. It completely eliminates that thermal bridging because now you don't have any way for that you know, in the middle of winter for the heat on the inside of the home to transfer to the outside or somewhere in the middle and cause condensation. Yeah. But, you know, back in the day, it was about 10% more expensive. Right now, it's about the same price. Yeah, it's interesting. It is the quietest house I've ever been in. Right across the street mm -hmm. from my mom's house is an elementary school, and there are buses that are diesel and school bells. And one, it's probably the most energy efficient house that I've actually seen, too, because her heating and cooling costs are near zero. I mean, she could said that that house just is so efficient and it's so quiet. If you were building, you could build an ICF house next to a freeway and you wouldn't have that sound go through, especially if you put in, you know, better windows and things like that that were designed for, for noisy areas. You'd never know it. Right, exactly. There was a house built uh, a few miles away from my house next to a set of railroad tracks. And I was touring that house with a train going by. I didn't even know it. Yep. Now it, I saw amazing. a DIY project where they, somebody decided to do it and build themselves. And yeah. I saw one issue that they had with it. And they were out there pouring concrete. Mud was there. And it was about a 30 mile an hour wind going. Mm. And they had a bowed wall. Oh yeah. Because you had, it was like a sail. And you could see afterwards that they had not managed that well. And right. they had a, a they were out a couple inches in the middle of this wall because it had bowed in with the prevailing winds going in there. And I was like, oh, oh that's a problem. Well, and that's actually one of the reasons why the ICF didn't take off years ago is because think of the, the knowledge base you need to build a concrete wall. You have to have somebody who knows framing mm -hmm. who knows the dynamics of concrete yep you know and that yeah. the, those two are two different trades no question and so it it kind of takes somebody who's kind of an engineer who has brought up their own um crew as uh apprentices and, and taught them how to do it the correct way and it, it's it takes a while to, to teach that yeah no question no question. And now that there's high performance concretes out there, there's even more stuff that you can do with some of these things with concrete these days. So it, uh, oh, yeah. it keeps getting a little more complex and a little more com complex with the custom mixes you can do and some of that stuff too. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you can add additives to concrete now to make it so moisture can't go through it. Unbelievable. And, 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 and then you can also, you can also pour uh, concrete that's completely um, permeable, permeable pavement. Yep. Use it for driveways. So just water just goes right through it. You never have to worry about salt pop outs or, or uh, water damage whatsoever. Yeah. It just, it goes right through it like a big sponge. It's cool. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good so one. I think that's four. I think yep. Yep. number five for me, number five for me would probably be along the lines of flooring materials. Um, I have sold wood floors. Matter of fact, Back in the early 90s, the only flooring material that I knew of that was being manufactured worldwide that was actually completely non-toxic was a product called Forbo Marmoleum. Yeah, oh, yeah. Forbo. I've used it. Me too. That's right. Yep. Old-fashioned linoleum. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, you know, it, here this is this is sheet flooring material made from uh, pine resin, yeah. wood flour, uh, pigments spread onto a jute backing, right? Linseed oil. Yep. And when people say say that the word linoleum, they, most people actually believe it's vinyl. No question. But the word linoleum actually mm -hmm. means linseed and jute. Mm -hmm. And this product is still being made today the way it was made 150 years ago. Yeah, I did a and, kitchen with that here probably five years ago for a client that I designed out. And we used the the uh, the green apple color. If I was oh, going to yes. turn out Sweet. awesome in this kitchen. So <laughs> it's like a, giant a nice cool little. Yeah, it was, yeah, Jolly Rancher Green. And it, they loved it. It was a kind of a vintage, you know, house where we kind of wanted to go for that 40s, 50s look with it. And it turned out awesome. Sure. But 
easy stuff to put down. You got to know that you have to have somebody that knows what they're doing, but it's a wonderful product. Wonderful product. And now, as you experience with it, they have some pretty wild colors, right? <laughs> I have to tell my clients, be very careful in the color you choose because this floral probably lasts as long as the house itself. Yep. That's what they love. I mean, I had a client that did in a kitchen, they did half bright yellow and half bright red, and they met right in the middle of a zigzag nice. pattern. And she said they wanted to wake up every morning and go to the kitchen and just be energized. And they certainly were. It's like the University, of, awesome. University of Southern California, my alma mater colors. Like, it's like, wake <laughs> up every go. day and be like, fight on. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But you know, what I love about it is it's naturally antibacterial, naturally anti-static. You're not adding any other microban or anything else on there that's, that's causing a formaldehyde problem. It's just, it's, it's naturally antibacterial because of the linseed oil that oxidizes off it over time. So just a very, very safe material, very effective, very durable. And again, it's, it's being made today the same way it was 150 years ago. They didn't alter their manufacturing process just to jump on the green bandwagon. This is the way it's always been. They were already there, so they didn't have to. Yeah, exactly. That's the beauty of exactly. that. Exactly. Oh, that is great flooring. And what is there stuff that you're seeing out there now that um, is starting to get on the healthier side with flooring? Because you know how there's luxury vinyl planks and tiles and all that stuff out there that has been really cruising past what I called the old Pergo laminate floor gymnasium oh, yeah. sounding home stuff that we had 20 years ago. Right. So I, there's two products that came out in the last few years that I've actually loved now. And one is a, there's a company called Cali Bamboo yes. out of California. And Cali Bamboo came out with their their version of uh, luxury vinyl plank. It was a, the Cali Vinyl Pro, it was called, used that limestone core. Yep. And because it doesn't contain MDF, there's no worry of any urea formaldehyde coming off. Plus, it doesn't warp the way some of that older stuff did. Mm-hmm. So that's been a huge, huge product for us. I probably have that product installed now in about 200 health houses across the country. And these are homes that are being built or remodeled for people with extreme sensitivities. And if they can tolerate that product, we all can. So I've got a question on the on the stone core flooring for you that I've been trying yeah. to research and I haven't found the answers yet. I've seen some installers out there, instead of cutting and snapping this stuff, they're they're throwing it on their saw. Mm-hmm. Are we getting into a, a silica problem when you've got a stone core material and somebody's using a saw with no dust collection on it out on a job site? I'm curious to see if we're running into any unknown silica problems. Hmm, That's a great question because just about anything that's cementitious will contain silica. Right? And it's probably going to come down to the actual uh, composition most of this is what's called, it's called SPC. It's a stone plastic composition. Uh, they usually use limestone because it's easily powdered, but I don't know what the silica level is in limestone versus just say, you know, a t- typical cement. However, I do recommend for my clients that all pieces be cut outside, mm-hmm. not in the house. So it's not lingering for any period of time. That dust can linger for two years after a project. Yep. Andrew. So that, that is a great question. Wait, when, we, when I um, test, right, for particulate, one of the things that I always test for is silica. And when I say that yeah. every house, I mean, it's, it's odd if I don't find it, has some sort right. of silica particulate in the air, some extensively mm-hmm. higher that needs to be addressed. And I do find a lot of it comes out of byproduct of when people have done construction, it ends up in the ductwork and it's just never cleaned out, right? We know that it's just dirty right. construction materials. But then also there are things, believe it or not, that produce it, things like cartridge ink cartridges off of printers, which is interesting because you like wouldn't think of it. Right. And wow. so what people do is, you know, yeah. you have your home office. Right. And you've got your printer right next to you. Some people have multiple printers and they're breathing it in. So it, it, that's a really big problem with silica. It's constantly in samples mm. um, and we constantly have it. So, yeah, I've I've, I've called two thought. flooring manufacturers and none of them are Cali, but I've called two name brand flooring manufacturers and talked to their tech department and they go, um, yeah, I don't know. We've never looked for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I had this dead phone like 
are you uh, there? Hello? <laughs> and you could hear them kind of going, oh, we better get with legal on this too. <laughs> before we. But it was just this dead silence. And I'm like, huh, interesting. Nobody knows. Well, you've, you've obviously asked a question that they weren't prepared for. Yeah. And, but these are things that we have to ask. And this is, you know, as all of us here, we are, um, if anything, we're, 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 we're kind of scientists as well. And we're, we're trying to help our clients live in healthier homes, but we have to do this research for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what I get paid for. I mean, I, I, I do consulting on projects all over the world and, I mean, I just, just yesterday, I took a call from somebody in Israel. I had a call with somebody in, in Barcelona and then a few in, uh, here in the States. Everybody has the same question. How do I live in a healthy home? You know, how do I find a healthy apartment? Or, you know, how do I do this without, without poisoning my kids? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why we when all you call come, a manufacturer. And that's why we all come together, right? I mean, this is the whole point of right. this show. And, and Andrew has his own podcast as well. But just bringing the specialists and putting us in this big pot and kind of sitting down and saying, okay, look, let's all brainstorm together to figure out how we can educate people. And by doing this, we educate the companies, mm -hmm. you know, because the companies listen yeah. to our show and they say, wow, this is important to people. We care about this. So, well, well, it's like we brought up, you know, that's the reason why I was calling because I was thinking, okay, what if you had a contractor that was in there and he had a guy that was drilling a hole in a basement floor, somebody called him in on it and the OSHA guys show up and all of a sudden he's got a silica dust complaint and maybe the flooring installers upstairs, who's actually creating a bigger problem than what's going on downstairs. And all of a sudden all the air tests could be off because mm -hmm. the flooring installers up there with the chop saw knocking out flooring. Or just because they're mm -hmm. off, Eric, like I test silica all the time. And like, I'm telling you, it's a major problem in houses across the U S so it's just there, you know, and where yeah. does it come from? Right. So, yeah, that was my, well, that was my little stump the expert questions that I had to, with the flooring manufacturers because nobody, nobody has any idea on that stuff yet, which I think that'll be a upcoming question for many of them as I keep asking those questions. It will. No, I love that. I love that. And I, I certainly will reach out to the, the folks that I know at Cali to ask that same question. And I, and it's, it's up to us. It's up to people like us to ask these questions because homeowners don't have the connections. They don't, they don't know the, the, the general lingo to get through a conversation you know, I, I had a customer several years ago who questioned the um, Knopf brand of formaldehyde-free fiberglass insulation mm -hmm. and wanted to know, because they actually produce a Declare label. It tells us what all the ingredients are in their product. And it says um, mineral oil is one of their ingredients. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sand, glass, and mineral oil, the three ingredients in Knopf insulation. Well, I, I actually contacted Knopf and said, well, you do realize that there is a industrial mineral oil, which is very toxic to humans. And there's also a, 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 a safe grade, non-toxic yeah. version. Which no. one are you using? Yeah. And they said, I don't know. Nobody's ever asked that question before. <laughs> and if they don't know, I kind of got, I have an right. idea what they're using. Well, fortunately they were using the safer version, Good. but they didn't even know it. They couldn't <laughs> use it as a marketing tool. So they went back and they changed their declare labels to, to make sure it reflected the fact they're using non-toxic mineral oil. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. So it, it pays to ask questions, but you know, again, for most homeowners, they just don't have the, um, they don't have the knowledge base to start with. And so that's why they hire folks like me to, to make sure that they're, that I'm their advocate and I'm finding out for them. That is awesome. That is awesome. I know we're running long, but I have one question yeah. for him too, Eric. Um, so, okay, go ahead. And this is just like a personal question. So we're talking a lot about OSB. I'm a plywood person. You know, I'm typically, when I build mm -hmm. a home, I want, I request that there's plywood used, not OSB. Um, argument for OSB, argument against, if you have the choice, Andrew, which one do you prefer? And uh, actually, Based upon testing that I've done, because I actually do a formaldehyde test called a FRAT test, mm -hmm. a formaldehyde release attenuation test, I have tested exterior grades of OSB and plywood. And an exterior grade mm -hmm. uses a phenolic resin or a phenyl formaldehyde in lieu of a urea formaldehyde. Neither of those products release formaldehyde, period. From a human health standpoint, there is no difference. Okay, It comes down to the um, structural component. 
of the product. And, and there's some arguments to be made that plywood is more structurally sound than, than OSB. But I think now with, you know, like the um, uh, Advantech material uh, that Huber makes, we have seen, you know, no problems with that, with swelling, uh, using as a floor sheathing material. I think years ago, the thought process was because plywood has a solid piece of, of wood on the surface, there's less likely a chance for any of that adhesive to get out via off-gassing. But it really doesn't matter anymore. If as long as you're using a an exterior grade adhesive, there should be no formaldehyde off-gassing. How about um, vapor transportation? So, for example, we've always heard that OSB does not permit moisture to transmit as easily as plywood does. So that's always been a concern. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that that will close in the envelope and create higher moisture levels within the house. Yay or nay? Oh boy, that's that. That's a good question. Um, I, I have to admit, my my school of thought is I'd rather build a home that is a steel box, completely free of air getting in, except for where I want it to come mm-hmm. in. All right, which is the argument for insulated concrete form construction because air only comes in where I right. want it to come in, and therefore it's not going to be a problem in those areas where I, it's not supposed mm-hmm. to come in. So um, that all said. There is a little difference between plywood and OSB with with vapor transmission, but you know what I'm seeing is the adhesives used to ply plywood together uh, over time, microscopically they start to sh- to actually um, come together, kind of like marshmallows pushing together. Mm-hmm. Where it had breathability when it was new, over time, Less. over a few years, they start to squeeze together, and you lose that vapor transmission ability. Gotcha. It's like paint. Yeah. And then the one issue with plywood that you got to be careful with is that, you know, those are veneers and there are holes in veneers. There are, you know, there yes. are, there are voids within a sheet of plywood. Mm-hmm. And so that's always something that you have to take into account as well is because those in certain areas, if there's a fastener there, there can be a weak spot because you've got this void on the inside of that half inch or three quarter inch material. If we were using cabinet grade you know, Baltic birch for sheathing, yeah. it'd be a different story. Yeah. It's not nine ply that you're throwing up there. Right, exactly. <laughs> so that's that's the other interesting point of that is that, you know, I've had I've had some pretty horrible, you know, half inch CDX before that I was using for for sheathing on a roof that I'm like, mm-hmm. ooh. Oh, that's a little spongy for me. I don't like that. But that's the other reason, right. like Andrew's saying, we can pick and choose product. Like if we go to a lumber yard, we know what we're looking at, right? A homeowner will just get something. Right. And if somebody gives them, they're not a reputable contractor and they give them, excuse me, crappy wood, they're not going to know. Mm-hmm. And so exactly. we can look at it right. and go, uh, 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 you can take that right back where you got it from, you know, but right. unfortunately that's why they need us to advocate for them for sure. Well, and this is why I'd say to my clients, we're not striving for perfection. You know, years ago, we tried to build the perfect healthy homes. Just everything was perfect. Everything had to be right. Now, I, I've softened my approach on this because there's got to be some leeway. There's got to be some give and take. Mm-hmm. Um, we strive for tolerance. Now, this is the the reason why there is no such thing as a healthy home metric. There are green homes, yep. energy efficient, sustainable, and so forth. Uh mainly because the environment can't sue humans can. So uh, I, a case in point, liability again, a friend of mine in the industry who was one of the pioneers in this industry, a fellow by the name of John Bauer wrote several books on how to build healthy homes. His wife had extreme chemical sensitivity, wrote a book called prescriptions for a healthy home. And people would buy his book. They would hire him to, as a consultant to build a healthy home and they would say, you know what? It didn't work for me. And they'd sue him because it's his fault. Wow. So we have to say everything is based upon your own personal tolerance, but we've got to give some leeway because we know that even if I buy the best product in the world, if the if the crew doesn't install it correctly, mm-hmm. everything's out the window. Yeah. You know, and vice versa. I can have the best crew in the world, but if it's a lousy product, it's still going to be a lousy product. So we got to have some leeway. We have to be able to be uh, flexible with our projects and with our clients. So there is some room in case there's a, there's a big knot hole that dropped out of a piece of plywood. You know, we know that it's, don't worry, we've got a piece of ice and water shield on the other side. It's taking care yep. of it. 
No question. No question. So, Andrew, if people want to track yes, you sir. down, what is the <laughs> best way to do that for our listeners out there? They go, okay, I want more. Best way is to go to the website, thegreendesigncenter.com. From there, you can uh, look at the materials that I've been able to uh, put together over my career that I know are, are healthier for the occupants. That's also a way to get right to my consulting services. I would probably spend 75% of my day consulting with clients all over the world, helping them not only build a healthy home, but just live in a healthier space. And although I've got 25 houses under construction right now across the country in various stages, most of my clients are people who are booking me for a 15 minute or a 30 minute conversation on trying to find the healthiest hide glue for, for a wood application <laughs> or, or something, you know, to that matter. Nice. They just, they're looking for healthier materials and you can go online and do a ton of research and still be confused. <laughs> or you can give me a call in a half hour. I'll probably have that figured out. So everything about me can be found at that website. Uh, and then, you know, certainly links to my podcast and, and uh, other things that I've and done. Let's toss out the name of your podcast out there too. We can, uh, we can cross promote here. <laughs> well, thank you. It's called non-toxic environments. Three words. That's simple. Awesome. That's simple. And you can find it on well, all the, uh, all the locations you find any podcast these you days. Well, you know, it. I think you're fabulous and um, cheers guys. Drink your whiskey. You're both fabulous. <laughs> yes. I love these guys. I'm very lucky. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you so much. Thanks for Cheers coming on, And homes. Andrew. <laughs> yeah, Thank absolutely. You, well, I'm Eric G. And I'm Caroline B. And you've been listening to Around, Around the, the House. house. Love is a love song. Let's be lovers. We're all over the radio. Take my Hey, it's Eric G from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.